Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael here with yet another episode of the Thriving Farmer Podcast. And today I am coming to you from Grand Rapids, Michigan, where I'm attending the Glexpo or the Great Great Lakes Expo, which is one of the largest Midwest industry conferences for fruit, vegetable, horticulture, farm markets. And so actually I was up here because they brought me up to do four different presentations. And uh, today's podcast is going to be a little bit different. I'm giving you the keynote that I did for the farm market session. So um, unfortunately, you know, the slides to go along, so you can't see all the things I'm talking about. But I hope that this will give you at least some idea of like what it's like to attend one of my presentations and uh, the kinds of stuff we were discussing. So we were really diving into farm markets and everything about what it takes to thrive with the farm market. So hopefully you'll enjoy this episode while a little bit of an unusual episode of the Thriving Farmer Podcast. Now, a quick note, we did start the recording just a little bit in from the start of the presentation. We kind of skipped the intro. So you'll just go dive right into where we were talking about our farm and the current farm we're setting up and then take you right into the rest of the conversation. We're scaling rather quickly with this this business. And so we're pouring tons of money back in to the operation. I think this year alone, we put about $78,000 in just capital improvements, okay? So it's again, our journey for this farm, I don't want to, you know, you guys, that's not attainable. We can never do that. Our journey is a little bit different because I have, again, over a decade of experience in this, 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 um, this industry. Um, so these are the kind of the sales. So we didn't start actually operation until May, really. I forget what these were. These were actually some fertilizer sales, I think, that were these spikes right here. Um, but this is basically when we actually started the store, and you can kind of see the, how that, that works there, the spikes and that. And then if you look right here, this is kind of like a little bit of a spike throughout October because that was a mum and pumpkin season. So for us, that was huge for us this year. Um, we ended up going through like 500 mums and 26 bins of pumpkins or something. And again, for us, being our first year, we had no idea what to expect. Now this is another interesting cool thing. This is square, the back end of square. And the cool thing that you can see is what days of the week are our busiest days. So Friday, Saturday, consistently busiest. We're closed on Sundays. And then the times, um, people were saying, well, we want you to stay open till seven, but really it didn't, it's not gonna make sense. There's very few people that come then. So we still may stay, stay open because we are a self-service setup. So we don't have to be out there actually manning it. Um, but it's just interesting to be able to pull this kind of data because we run all that through there. All right, so a little bit about Growing Farmers, our education company. We do on-farm consults. Um, we do, this is West Coast. Um, we do our annual Thriving Farmer Summit. This year is the Thriving Farmer Flower Summit. It's called Mastering the Bloom. I forgot to put the slide in here. Um, that would have been awesome. Um, but it's in January, the first weekend in January. It's a virtual summit. It's free for everybody. Um, usually about 30 different presentations and all things flowers. So highly encourage you to join us for that. We have the Thriving Farmer podcast, over 150 episodes and 750,000 downloads. And then our, one of our signature courses is our Start Your Farm Intensive. And we'll be pulling over the next two days, because they got me for a couple different talks, we'll be pulling from a lot of information from this, which is basically our A to Z of starting your farm business. All right, so where we're going today, we're gonna talk about attracting the right customers, we're gonna talk about crafting that right experience that is gonna uh, keep those customers engaged and coming back. 
And then we're gonna talk about knowing your numbers because numbers are king. And if you don't know your numbers, you'll go out of business real quick. And then along the way, we're gonna check out what some of Michigan's markets are doing. Who was on the bus tour yesterday? That was so much fun, wasn't it? Um, and uh, I'll talk about a little bit of kind of like some of the different people we visited, some of the things I love what they were doing, and some of the things that I think could be tweaked a little bit to be more successful. And along the way, so you stay to the end, because I know that's a, a skipping thing, uh, four social platforms you need to be aware of, seven ways to double your income, and it's easy, guys. It's all about the upsell. Um, why we have a farm mar market bust, too. We'll get into that right at the end. All right, so part one is going to be attracting the right customers. And I think a lot of people think, you know, when they think of farm market, what do you think of? You know, there's this. This to me is a farm stand. This is a farm I visited on the West Coast. It's literally a tiny little shed. And if you're doing, let's say, farmer's markets or you're doing wholesale, starting something like this, you know, it can be just that little bit of income. If you put a little cooler in there, keep stuff cold, and it's going to last for a couple of days, you can actually do quite well. Um, and, uh, but then you also have this. This is Valenti Farms. Who knows where Valenti Farms is? They're outside of Boston. Um, I don't know how many million dollars they do a year, but it's a lot. Yeah, those are all beautiful glass greenhouses. They have a retail space that's pr with a full deli, full kitchen. Their store is probably, you know, gotta be, gotta be 15, 20,000 square feet of retail space. Um, and what type of farm business do you want? Because this is gonna shape who you're attracting, okay? So this is two pictures. This is a local company near us. They own both of these. This is an on-farm event center. They have pumpkin uh, patch there. They do hay rides. They do have a maze. They do massive events in the fall. They have you know, the whole thing of like the little pumpkin chunking and all that different things that you can do on site. It's an event center. It's way out from the city limits. So it's a, you have to, it's, it's a destination. You're gonna go for the day. You're gonna travel there. Now, the other aspect they've got is they've got this retail store, which is literally inside well, one of the fastest growing areas in our, our uh, Metroplex with Dayton, Cincinnati area. Um, they were telling me the other day how much they've been fighting the city who's been trying to, you know, kind of clean up their code and all that. So there are parking lots, you know, all these different things. And this is a completely different thing. This is spring for flowers, and then they move into the berry seasons and sweet corn during the summer, and then the fall pumpkins and mums and that sort of thing. So very different setups. I mean, this is a different season. This is only fall. This is all season, all during the warmer months. So what are you building is going to be a key depending on what type of customers you want to attract. You know, kind of think about, you know, I'm not going to go into each of these questions here, but these are all something that we tell people when we're working with them. You know, these are things you want to start thinking about. What are you creating? And so one of the things, too, as going through this is the farm that we're building is what's important to me. So first to me is to feed and educate our community. We're in a community that's very blue collar, very high rates of cancer because we're near some industrial, um, we're near the mound, which is in Miamisburg, Ohio, which had um, plutonium and all sorts of fun stuff happening there. So again, we are a very sick area. And so again, we know that good food heals people. And so that's the reason why we exist and that's what we wanna bring to our community. But we also wanna educate our community because again, people don't know where a strawberry comes from. They don't know where an egg comes from. We literally had that question, hey, does those eggplants have eggs on them this year? And I was like, oh gosh. Um, but the big thing for me too is time with our kids and friends too. We live on the farm, which I don't know how much longer that's going to still go on for, just because you know how busy it gets and the people coming to the door and all of that. Um, 
We're closed on Sundays. We've got a big sign out there and we still have multiple people drive in. I was talking to the Mooville people and they said, we're closed on Sundays and we literally have a parking lot full every Sunday still of people just driving in and going, oh my gosh, you're close. Um, but we also want to, for our community, is provide a respite from the business busyness in people's lives. So we have eight acres. It's amazing since we started farming it. We put in a lot of flowering hedgerows and we're putting in a lot of green space to allow people to come out and experience nature. Okay, that's important for us. And then also, you know, I love working with people. I love what a good team can build. And the previous speaker, just, you know, the, the operation they've got, they stressed it in their video, you know, how important a good team is. So what can you do to farm market? And again, the, the previous speaker kind of stole the thunder because there's so many things you can do. Um, and there's, there's, there's massive aspects of it. But what does your farm do and what, what's the kind of like mix that you're going to build is going to be about your targeting, who you're going to go after for marketing. All right, so it's also the chicken or the egg. I like to throw this slide up there because like, are you gonna build it and find the customers for it? So that's some aspect. Is I know what I wanna do. I wanna be a pumpkin patch and I'm just gonna go find people that want to buy my pumpkins. The other aspect of find a customers, find out who your ideal customer is and then figure out what they want. So this is a little bit more of our approach. We kind of had a general idea, but our business has been incredibly fluid this year as we've tried one thing or another or another and found out what didn't work and did work. So for us, mums were huge. Point set is not much. It just wasn't the thing for them. All right, so next year we're just not gonna bring in, you know, any probably. We'll just maybe go after wreaths. Um, and then what will your farm support too? So if you have a very unique piece of property, maybe it's set up for one thing and not another. So if you have very little parking, setting up a massive full day uh, agritainment system is probably not for you, but you can set up a full service farm store that people are literally in and out in five or 10 minutes and can still do incredibly well. All right, so what does your market need to? You know, listen to what your people are saying. Um, and then what does your local community not have? And why don't they have that? So, I mean, like we were at a blueberry farm yesterday and that's because the pH in that area is 4.5 and it just grows great blueberries. So if you were trying to grow something that requires a very high pH in that area, it might be quite challenging. All right, and then who are you selling to, too? So obviously you need to think about the demographic in your area. So we are in Southwest Ohio. It is a very uh, red state and uh, blue collar. And that's who we're targeting. They don't really like arugula. They want their tomatoes, their corn, their sweet potatoes, surprisingly, and their green beans, even though they want us to pick the green beans and give them to them by the bushel for like 12 bucks. And I was like, no, it doesn't work, folks. <laughs> so, so yeah, we've, uh, we, we just don't do that many green beans. But you know, thinking about your avatar and who your customer is is super important. And there's a couple things to think about here too. It's who is buying and uh, you know, most likely you will have multiple avatars. We do, we have four different avatars for our business and the avatar is basically a very specific type of person. So we have uh, middle-aged women who want to stay healthy. We have young moms who want to give good food for their kids. We have the couple who's on the weekend, on a, usually a holiday weekend, and they're thinking of you know, doing this cool you know, dinner or something and they want to have some local products and say, oh, I bought it at the farm on Central. Um, it's kind of a pride thing for them and that's, that's totally cool. I just need to recognize that. And so why do they buy your product and for what reason? We'll get to that in the next slide and your demographics as well. There's a ton of online information for graph, uh, demographics you can find. Type in like my area demographics and it will pop up. And then the other thing you gotta think about is there, are they direct or indirect customers, okay? So here's this, this is the customer. Here's the one that gives you the money. 
but someone else is probably an end user and is going to benefit from that. And then there's also a beneficiary who is everyone else who benefits from that. So in your farm store, you've got the mom just bought her kid a cider donut, the kid who's eating the cider donut, and everyone around them who's now happy because the kid stopped screaming. So, you know, that's kind of how you want to think about that. And then the value proposition is why should they buy from you? And this is more when you really start to go out and do marketing. And our, again, the reason we were able to scale our business this year is because we did a lot of you know, deep avatar look, looking at people and going after them through a lot of advertisements. Um, so for us, you know, one is the young mother who's worried about uh, safe food. That for us is Haley. Haley's our incredible ideal avatar for that. She asked, do you guys grow prunes the other day? And my wife had to let her know. Prunes are a plum that has been dried. No, we don't. Um, and then the dinner party host. So they want a status of high quality. This is typically someone who I'm um, a little bit higher income and they have like a, a dinner party or something for their friends over. And then you've got the neighbor who just is there because it's convenient. Literally, we're next door. It's faster than going to the grocery store. So they're just there because of that. Um, so the value proposition two is, you know, are you selling pain or gain? So the mom thinks she's avoiding sick kids. So that to her is if her sick kids are sick, um, that's pain. So that's why she's buying our elderberry syrup. That's why she's buying our fire cider. That's why she's going for those very specific items that we have. The host is buying for status. He's going to gain status by buying from you. And the neighbor just doesn't want to go to the store. It's painful to have to drive four miles. I think it's four or five miles in our instance to go to the grocery store. So let's dive into, we talked about kind of the avatar, we kind of talked about why they're buying from you. Let's dive a little bit into four platforms you need that drive about 95% of our business. So first up is going to be Facebook. And I know it's the evil giant, we all hate it, but it's still incredibly effective. There's billions of people on that platform and uh, people always say to us, oh my gosh, I saw your videos on Facebook. So we have to use them. It allows advanced targeting. So you can dive into a lot of the metrics of your people. Even if you just have a Facebook page and you have a couple hundred people liking it, you can dive into those metrics and see who they are and what type of people they are and what they, what they like. Um, and then there's a social sharing and interaction platform. So on, let's say like something like YouTube, which is basically a content creation, this is more of a social sharing. So you post something, people will share it, they'll comment on it, they'll engage back and forth and build a, a better um, post in the algorithm. So what types of posts do we do? Um, we do about six types of main posts here. So we'll have just the weekly update. I have my six-year-old, my four-year-old, they go out, they go on and they talk about everything that's on the bus. It's quite hilarious at points. Um, definitely check, uh, check it out. We also do just you know, pictures of the farm, but we also not just throwing a good picture up there. We also like to ask people you know, what they're working on that day. This would be this type right here. Um, we got relatively good engagement. Um, announcements, so we just started a, a, um, a wholesale leg of our business with um, DLM, which is one of the top retailers in the grocery store retailers in the nation. And um, again, that was tough to get in there, so we announced that, we kind of pushed it out there. We also do new items. So this is when we did fire cider, um, that was a new item for us. And so again, share that, just let people know. Um, and then obviously questions too. We're trying to figure out what people want. This really got, this got pretty good engagement, didn't get super high reach, but it got a ton of comments. And the number one thing people said is, I don't know what to do with your products. I don't know what to do with you know, carrots or beets. Um, I don't even know, some people said, I don't even know what to do with the winter squash. So what we have to realize folks is that the new 
buyers, the people in the younger generations, they've never been taught this kind of stuff. So a simple aspect of video of you standing in front of a camera saying, hey, this is a butternut squash. Here's how you process it. Slice it in half, scoop the seeds, bake it at 400 for how many minutes, and you know this is how you finish it off, and this is another way you can use it. That will drive sales because they now know what it is, and they don't feel embarrassed walking into your store and going, oh, I wonder what that is. Um, seriously, it happens. And then obviously member spotlight. So we're trying to have our customers show our customers off. Again, that's social proof. Um, and like we also will do the same thing with like testimonials and stuff like that. Um, Google business profile. Again, if you Google my farm, the first thing that comes up is my Google business profile. And it sits right on the right on desktop or the top on mobile. And so again, look at this. We've got five-star reviews. We've got some pictures. We've got um, you know, some more, a little bit of information. The website right there. I think you can find the website, a phone number. That is so key, guys. If you, don't, if you take one thing away from my talk today, set up your Google profile. And if you have set it up, update it. Make sure it's current. Get your hours in there. All right, hyper important. You can post updates, get reviews, show your online store. Set that up first. Email marketing, if you're not collecting emails, that's another huge leg of our aspect. We're almost up to 1,000 people on our email list, and uh, we email them at least once a week. And you can easily target and segment. And still, the best way to get emails is to put a sheet of paper with a line on that, and on a clipboard with a pen in your store. And every time you have someone come to the register, hey, are you on our email list? We have recipes and features and, uh, and coupons on that. Um, and then here's a quick trick that works to get twice as many emails. Put a fake email on the top line or your own email on the top line because it will sit there for three or four days with no emails on it. Someone puts their email on, then it just starts filling right up. No one, people do not like to be first. All right, um, referral word of mouth. Again, this is key. We all know this. It's huge for our businesses and, and many reasons. It's the biggest reason a lot of us have successful farm markets. Um, so build a strong referral network. Figure out how to incentivize people coming back or bringing a friend. So we pass out little postcards, bring a friend, both of you save 10%. Um, and then a rewards program is key too. So we have what we call a VIP club and they get 10% off or they just put their phone number in and they can earn points. And that's important too. All right, so we talked about part one is finding your customer, reaching them, reaching out to them. Now let's move on to part two, which is crafting the right experience. So farm sales, you know, it's really interesting. Back to my story of, of farming, we started off with the farm in upstate New York and we ran that for a decade. We were really successful. The last couple of years, I was just coasting. And I think a lot of you know what coasting means is you've got the business set up and you're just kind of really enjoying the business. You're focused on the kind of the projects you want to focus on. The farm kind of works for itself. Um, but then what happened is I got married, my wife and I had a child, and she wanted to be in Ohio near her family. And it was really tough for me because that meant I had to shut down the business and move. Um, and so, you know, we, I'd say there was some rocky, rocky, rocky bit there because it was obviously my life was wrapped up in that business. But I'm going to tell you, it was the absolute best thing that happened to me. And the reason for that is it allowed me to step back from the farming world the day-to-day -day of doing it and start to look at farming from a little bit more of a 30,000 foot view and allowed us to start the consulting business we did and the education business we did and really start to dive into the numbers. And we're gonna get to the numbers here in a little bit. And our farm this year has been so much more organized and more, you know, we're not profitable, but our margins are so much better and we know exactly every single aspect of it because we've taken that 30,000 foot view 
looked at everything overarchingly and saying, what are the piece pieces that we need to plug together to make this entire thing work for our consumer? And we've seen you know, our, our sales per customer have gone up substantially and our value per customer visit too as well. So we're looking at those metrics there. So being able to do that was really great. And I think that's given me this a different outside view of the entire industry and how it, how it works. So let's dive into the second part here and talk about sales and kind of what you're building, the experience you're building for folks. So a customer journey is how you move your customers from first meeting you to being a raving fan. And there's a little book out there called Raving Fans. Um, there's another one called Your you know, 100 Perfect Customers, I think. Those are great books to kind of dive into and, and just kind of understand the concept. Um, so most farmers think people just show up and buy. But I'm going to give you a couple ex examples here. You all have had that customer which shows up. You can see, you can just spot them as they come. And they come with a little bit of a grim, grim look on their face. They're looking around the whole thing. They got that scowl. They ask, can I get a discount on this if I buy two? And you say, no, you know. And so they buy one thing, they complain about it, and they leave. And you know they're never going to be back. And that was a negative experience for you. And then the person behind them literally has their basket overflowing. They're telling you how excited they are. They were able to make it over today. They're so excited. The last time they got your strawberries, they were so sweet. And they told Aunt Hilda she had to come down, and she got a flat, and she made some pies, and how great that was. And she's back because she's doing... That's the raving customer. That's the person you're trying to get to come back every single week. If we had 100 of those, most of us would be set that are spending either 30 to 50 to $80 a week with us. So what you've got to think about as your customer journey is how do people meet you and like what's the steps they take. And obviously, you know, someone comes, they buy one thing, they come back, they bring their kids, they experience the farm, they maybe take a tour, they now bring a friend. And obviously as you're capturing them, you'll get them on their email list, you get them on your, their, your social media. So now they're getting multiple connection points to you and you're able to retarget them with either, you know, online marketing or email marketing. Um, and so that person is now a raving fan and telling other people about you. And you also have to think about your value ladder. So I know a lot of the places we visited, then it's great. You know, um, the lavender place yesterday. Um, this was really interesting because I was just looking at the, how their business was set up and brand new farmer, he'd only purchased it this May. But what it is, is they get people to come in to go pick a $5 bouquet of, of uh, lavender. And he says, some people want four sprigs. Some people obviously get as big a bunch they can. But then they come back into the shop and they spend another 20, 30, 40, 80 dollars on lavender products. They have, you know, bath bombs and lotions and soap and candles and 80 other things. I know a lot of you bought some of them, so you could tell me what you got. Um, <laughs> but what they've done is done a really good job of figuring out that lavender value ladder. And what I would suggest they do is they probably got all your emails too and they checked you out is now they need to get you on a subscription box is every single month we'll send you a $20 box full of all these lavender cool things and that way you're now going to go from a $5 customer to not a $50 customer to over your lifetime you'll be thousands of dollars with them because they're continuing to offer you products so what that means for you and your farm business is make a next step for your customers Okay? So a percentage will always pay more. In the online marketing world, this is called the 4% rule. It's typically 4% of one purchase will I buy the next offer. So um, uh, if you have like a $17 product, you know, 4% of those will go for the $97 product and 4% of those will go up. In retail and in um, uh, physical world, it can be a lot more because it's a lot more tangible. Um, so the higher the value ladder, 
more profitable you can tend bean. Um, you know, you look at some of these classic point is the um, the uh, Halloween scare trails or whatever. But there's a couple places nearby us. They do like three to five million dollars a year in their their Halloween haunted trail. This blows my mind. They'll have a thousand people a night at fifty to seventy-five dollars show up for that. It's incredible. So it's more of a high ticket and their profit margins are insane. Um, but also, as we said, we talked about continuality there, is try to work that into your offer. So a recurring subscription. So if someone visits your farm stand, see if you can get their email and offer them sort of ongoing thing if they're, gonna, they're not in the area, like a subscription box to your products. So let's test the waters here, because obviously you want to try some of this stuff here. Put it on a social media posts saying, hey, I'm just thinking about this. What do you guys think? Um, plan a test patch and see what the interest is. Um, talk to different you know, market managers, even farmers market managers about what's working, what's not working. Um, and talk to folks already doing an enterprise. So there's different parts of your experience too. So you know, from the moment someone steps onto your property to the moment they leave, what kind of experience are you offering them? There's a couple different variables and parameters here that you want to talk about. First, we talk about agritourism. That's huge. That's a huge driver of getting people to your place. Um, then the products, so the product mix. And there's a couple ways you can look at your product mix. And the third would be the enterprises you have. So let's say we we're at Mooville yesterday. Their first enterprise was fluid milk. Then they went into, I think they went to ice cream second, and then they went into cheese, and then they went to all these other things as well. So each one of those would be an enterprise under their all their encompassing umbrella. Hey, Thriving Farmers, where are you on your Thriving Farmer journey? So if you go to our website, growingfarmers.com, you can click on the assessment button, and that will take you to a form, ask you a few different questions, and that will help you figure out where you are on the five-stage Thriving Farmer journey. And what that does then is kicks you a customized PDF that gives you resources to know exactly what to focus on next in your business to go to the next level. So go to growingfarmers.com and click on the assessment. So, and then what does your year look like? So this was something we talked, uh, one of the places we went to yesterday, it was an actual like more really um, classic farm market, greenhouse, strawberries. And so you wanna keep on giving people a reason to come back. So our number one seller is salad mix. So we have a $10 bag of salad mix that is every single week, except the month of August, and we'll talk about that a little later, is our number one product. But how exciting, I mean, people love the salad mix, but they're not gonna bring the whole family just to get a bag of salad mix out of our retail store. There needs to be some sort of like experience or event. And so obviously, if you start off with bedding plants, people come pick the bedding plants for their, their garden or the flower beds, then you move in the strawberry season, then in the blueberry season, then in the corn, pumpkins, Christmas, however you wanna do it. Making sure you go from one kind of thing to the next, it constantly gives you another thing to talk to your people about and communicate about and have festivals and special days and all of that. So think about how you're setting that up. And then what experience are you setting up? So th this was another thing to look at is a couple different places we visited all had very particular experiences they were giving. Is it personalized? Is it a self-guided experience? We don't have really any interaction. And is it more of like that old timey feel? Um, so this is the, the lavender place, and that was really a very personalized experience because you went into the store, they were working off to the back, you can't quite see it, but like this is their kitchen behind the area, and they would stand there and talk to you, and they had, so they had some kids um, who would like ring you out and create this whole experience and talk you through the different aspects of things. And obviously that won't scale a, to a massive scale, but the price point that they're charging, they can keep that personalized experience and do quite well. Um, his part of that experience was a sink 
and you could put their lotions on and try it, wash your hands and see how you, that, that felt. Again, they created that really personalized, um, one-of-a-kind experience. And of course, you're being bombarded with lavender smell, um, which makes you want to go out to the back and sleep in one of their hammocks. They have 10 hammocks out back, which you could go take a little nap in because of how this was set up. It was really cool. And then you've got the second place, which was Mooville. One of the other places was Mooville, and it's a, per, it's a self-guided tour. They're busy making ice cream, 6,000 gallons a week in some points of the year, so they don't have time to give you a tour, so they get a self-guided tour. They want you to come to their case right here and load up on ice cream and milk and all their other products. And finally, this is the old-fashioned feel, which was at Turkeyville, is this was set up as, I don't know, what would you call this, a 50s... Um, ice cream shop or something like that, kind of that's feel, and that whole place was like that. And again, so this was a completely different, uh, basically, experience they were creating. They didn't grow anything there. It was basically, they bought in their turkeys from one of the other farms we visited, and it was just a retail dinner theater and gift shop. And it happened to be located in, is it Turkeyville, that's the city it was in? I think they created the city. They created the city, <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, you know, think about those on-farm events and experiences, too. People love to be entertained. There are people making bank with doing, you know, wreath designing and all these other experiences. We, for the first time, did a salsa-making class, learned a lot. People had so much fun. We basically used on-farm ingredients and showed them exactly how to create salsa. A lot of these people didn't even know how to use a knife. They'd never cut up an onion before, and they were sitting there crying in our class, you know, cutting up an onion with a very dull knife. We had to sharpen their knives for them. Next time, we're going to supply all the knives. Um, but, you know, to me, that experience of taking them out to the farm, showing them where the crop's grown that they're going to make the salsa with, and then taking that salsa home with them for their family is a great experience and really helps build that trust. Um, again, different clientele than frequent shoppers. So the people that came for the class, very different avatar than the people that show up every week on our bus. Because the people that show up every week on our bus already know how to cook. The people that come for the class don't know how to cook. It's fascinating because we never realized that before. Um, again, don't forget about the kids. Getting your, the kids to your farm, it can be a huge thing. Because again, people want things to do with their family. Um, stuck at home, okay, gosh, what am I going to do this weekend? Um, a farm near us um, does $20 flat fee. You have to pick a, a time. And I have gone on their website and figured out how many tickets are left in different periods and realized they're making thousands and thousands of dollars a day by just having a, a playground and a tractor doing circles with this kind of setup right here. Um, and the other quick here to think about too with your store is are you going to go wide or deep? And so what I say by that is we went to one place that was just lavender. They went deep on lavender. One crop and they had literally 80, 85 products. The other farm store literally had everything from candy to mums to donuts to apples to anything you could think of. It was massively wide and the, the care they took with any one of those enterprises I didn't feel was if they had gone more narrow and more deep. They would have done a much better job instead of just being so spread out. You know, for us, you want to also think about that upsell. We talked about the upsell earlier, so strawberry season for us, all we sold in strawberry season was strawberries. We missed out on so much income, we could have done a strawberry little kit where we included shortcakes and biscuits and then a can of whipped cream because whipped cream actually goes out of stock in many places during strawberry season. I don't know if you guys experienced that. It's definitely done that in our area. So our goal would be to, again, pick up, you know, half pallet or so of whipped cream so that when people say, hey, do you guys need this? And they're, it's a natural upsell for them. Obviously, then what can we do for an event? 
jam class. Teach them how to make jam. And with that jam class, of course, they need a jam kit. You got the pectin, the sugar, actually the jars, because jars this year was tough to get a hold of. Um, strawberry t-shirts, like I picked at the farm on Central, or I, I got strawberried out. You know, there's all sorts of fun t-shirts you could create for that. And then obviously for us, strawberries was a great sell into all our other produce. So we have a hothouse so we can do tomatoes, cucumbers, peppers, and have them ready by you know, mid, late May when our, our strawberries come on. And that's, it's amazing to see people get online or store, buy strawberries, and then add four or five items. And then after strawberry season finished, our online sales literally went like this. Um, and all it was, was strawberries to us was more of a lost leader. Even though we do make money on strawberries, it ended up being a little bit of a lost leader for us. Um, the other thing too, master the upsell. So this was at Otto's um, Turkey Farm. And what three items in this picture are natural upsells for buying a turkey? He's got the stuffing, whole thing of stuffing. He's got gravy kits. And he's got himself a roasting pan. So those are natural things when they say, hey, so you got your turkey, now do you need you know, stuffing? It's a natural upsell. And then the Lexus farmer. So this was a farmer that uh, I met when I was quite young in uh, farming upstate New York. And we'd go to the New England Vegetable Growers, which is kind of similar to this, a little bit different feel there. And uh, I was always picking the brains of the different farmers there. I got to be known as the question box. But I was talking to this one farmer, and I had noticed that he had quite a nice car. He had a Lexus, a newer Lexus. And I was like, tell me about your farm. And he's like, you know, we do full farm market. But he says, we specialize in horticulture. So they do everything from tomatoes to, you know, the full line of herbs to all the hanging baskets and stuff. And so I started diving in a little bit and talking about that part of it and realizing just the margin on horticulture. The margin on horticulture is great if you do it well. And he did it incredibly well. And he was saying, you know, in six weeks, with a 20 by 100 foot greenhouse, I can do $60,000 very easily. Um, obviously, you know, there's expenses in there. But he was saying, I go to all the conferences because he does vegetables, 20 acres of vegetables and the farm market. And he says, I go to the horticulture conferences and it's Bentleys and uh, BMWs and Lexuses. And I go to the vegetable conferences and it's beat up trucks and, you know, old, old uh, VW Jettas and, you know, that kind of stuff. So he was like, if you're not doing horticulture, you're not integrating that well into your business, I think you're missing out on a massive amount of, um, of income. The other thing we started doing with this is we started doing custom garden tilling and fertilization, where we'd actually charge $50 to $100, go to their place, till their garden, apply fertilizer, and give them a 10% off coupon to all our plants. And that drove traffic right back to us. This year, we're going to outsource that. I'm not going to do it. We're going to hire another local farmer who's looking to pick up a few, some extra thing, and he's just going to go around and do that. We're going to add on a $50 garden consultation on top of that. So again, all sorts of ways to just kind of bring the value added up. And then obviously you offer peat moss, compost, all those other things for the garden as well. All right, so let's talk about this. You know, obviously $100,000 in these days doesn't go quite as far as it used to. Um, but let's say you need to make $100,000, you want to make $100,000 with your farm business. That's $20,005 sales. That's a lot of work. But if you do $10,000, $10 sales, that's a little bit easier. And $20 sales, that's $5,000. And you know, we kind of keep going and going and going until we get to $100,000 sales. So you always really want to be focused on up leveling and increasing the average sale on your farm. And again, we talked a little about upsells and all those other things you can offer. But I want to give you seven or eight or maybe it's nine now tips 
on kind of what we see that are no-brainers for you to up your farm market revenue. So if you're not bringing in other products, do. Um, you know, for a while, and I kind of came back from the producer-only farmer's market um, side of things, so I was incredibly proud that we grew everything that we produced, we sold, and you know, I was the one at farmer's market like, wait a minute, are you actually sure you grew those, or did you go to the auction and get that? Um, but now we've come to the point of to do the experience we want, there's no way we can grow everything, at least at this point. So we're going to work with other local vendors that are high quality, that we can tell their story, and we can feel proud about selling as well. And then, with cider especially, if you're not offering slushies, cider slushies, that takes a $8 gallon of cider and makes it 36 bucks. And all it takes is a couple grand in a machine, which will pay for itself in a couple weekends if you have a busy stand. So again, make sure you buy that machine. I'm sure there's vendors out there who'd be more than happy to sell it to you. Um, the second thing we did is kits. So we talked a little bit about the tilling of the garden. Well, what we did here was we offered strawberries. So the fall, we said, hey guys, you love the strawberries, right? Did you know you could grow those at your, at your home? And you buy the plants now, you overwinter them, and they'll produce for you great. And so we offered a kit, and um, the flat of berries was $20 to buy a flat of plants, and then it was $57 to get a half bale of straw, a row cover, and fertilizer, and the plants. So again, we increased our, double, more than double our average sale because 75% uh, of people bought the kit and 25% of people bought just the plants. Maximize your checkout experience. So this is Otto's, again, solid operation, really super cool guy, but I think they're missing out on adding some point of sale right here in this dead spot. This is the most important spot of your retail store is right around your cash register. I mean, that's where you put your, um, those, those easy upsells. So if you sell a lot of tomatoes in tomato season, right around your checkout, bunches of basil, um, even like, you know, even a, a little sign about the mozzarella that's sitting in your cold, cold case. Um, those are the kinds of things you want to keep adding in there. Um, another thing is creating urgency. And again, I love this t-shirt, so I shared it here. It's nothing to do with what I want to talk about, but same farm. Um, Otto, on Saturdays from 9 to 1, does smoked turkey legs for drumsticks for 2 bucks. And they now have this line on Saturday mornings that pulls people in for this special event. So think about what kind of special events you can do. Obviously, there's great seasonality of things like strawberries and pumpkins and apples and stuff. But other, think about other ways throughout the week that you can offer special things, even if it's, again, a lost leader. I'm sure those drumsticks cost a fair amount of money to put together, but they pull people in, which then shop the other 50 or 60 items in that store. Um, apparel, if you're not doing apparel, this is great. I mean, everything from the t-shirts, sweatshirts, um, all that kind of stuff, baby onesies, but also, I mean, practical, super practical stuff like insulated totes. This was at Mooville. Again, you're buying ice cream. You need to get that home and keep it cold, and so they offer that, and it's a bargain. That was only six bucks. I've seen these as high as like 12, 15, 18 dollars very easily, but it's also branding you. Um, and then good retail displays. So again, this was on our two places on our trip, and I did not get a picture of this closed, but this was a closed, just big chest freezer, rusty on the lid. It was kind of sitting over in the corner of the store, and no one would have known what was in there unless they were actually looking for it. And when you opened it up, it was full of delicious pies. So this store, on the other hand, had a modern retail merchandiser full of all sorts of awesome stuff with little signs on it. And which place do you think was selling twice the amount of pies at twice the price? Absolutely. 
Um, another one last thing here, this was the Lavender Place. They did a fabulous job of these little kits. So you go to this place, there's 80 products, you're completely overwhelmed, at least I was. I had no idea what I should be buying, but then I saw they've got these little, you know, kits of like their most popular items, and you know, Christmas is coming, gifts, and so that was there on top, and then underneath they had all the boxes, them ready to go. And so instead of having to think about it, you grab the box, walked out, swiped your credit card, and out the door you went. So think about putting kits together, packages together, making it easy for people to buy more, and giving them something that works together, okay? So you don't wanna just throw random items together. Think about like putting a cohesive package together of your products. All right, who can tell which item in this picture is gonna vastly increase your sales? Yes, the shopping baskets, yes. We saw a 20% increase in the sales per customer when the shopping baskets showed up in our store. It's that simple. People will shop until their hands full and then they will stop shopping. So if you can give them something to increase the capacity per customer, they will buy more. All right, part three, know your numbers. So this is where we're gonna get into the nitty gritty, kind of really dive into kind of like the numbers because again, there's a lot of, with farm markets, there can feel like a lot of income's coming in, but it also feel like that goes out just as fast. And you're like, where did all the money go at the end of the year? Obviously labor is probably number one. Um, so keeping those people engaged is important. Um, so with people, you know, how do you get paid? And like, how do you charge at your farm market? And I see a lot of people like, well, I don't know, what's Joe over here charging? That's what I'm gonna charge. But obviously a couple models we see is the first is cost plus. So this is typically for the items that you bring in. So this is where, you know, I buy my wholesale apple butter at $4 a jar. I want to put a 30% markup on that. And I'm going to charge whatever that is on top of that. And that's one way to do it. Um, that definitely works. It means you're going to be profitable. The other one is market-based pricing. So you're going to say, okay, well, what does everyone else charge for their apple butter? And it's, you know, $7. Okay, so I'm going to charge $6.95, be competitive. And then there's the value-based pricing. So this is where you really create your own blue ocean. And so, you know, this is where you see those unicorn farm markets, which you walk in there like, oh my gosh, how the heck are they getting those prices? We've all seen those markets. And I'm sure some of you are sitting right here. It's because you've created that experience when people walk in that they don't care about price. It's all about, oh my gosh, this is just me. And they want to experience that. And so they're going to buy your products. So that's where we want to head. Obviously, there's a lot to get there, um, but we're going to really kind of dive into a little bit more of the, the hard base numbers as we go here. So how do you get paid? How often do they buy? So some of you, you know, you have a pumpkin place. They're going to buy one pumpkin or a couple pumpkins. They're not going to come back every single week throughout the six-week pumpkin season and buy a pumpkin. So you got to figure out how do I get them to come back. For us, um, we do a CSA, which is like a, a farm veggie box every single week. And you might consider that 26 purchases. For us, we are $97 a month and they subscribe. And that's all that they've done. So every single month, unless they cancel, they're gonna get charged $97 again. Um, for us, we're a year-round farm. We do a fair number of value-added. We can make that work. It can be really tough in the wintertime, depending on what kind of farm you have. Um, but, you know, a jar of jam by a tourist is a one-time. So how do you then get that person on your email list and then get them to buy from your online store? Because that can be important, too. And what's the sales cycle, too? So this is obviously something that's talked about a lot in, like, big business. Um, but, like, sales cycle for most farmers is, like, someone drives by, they see the sign, they pull in and buy something. But do they actually pull in the first time? For a lot of the time, they're going to drive by three, four, five, six, seven times. Like our friend, oh, I've been meaning to stop by all season. I just finally got in here and it's September 30th. And I was like, well, you kind of missed the most of the season. 
Um, so getting people in there, and so what we like to think about is, okay, they drive by, then they might see a Facebook ad, then their neighbor might say something. So again, the more kind of interactions you can get is going to be important. All right, here, so how much can you charge to? Um, this is the number one question I get from folks online on our Facebook groups is like, well, how much should I be charging for X? And I have a stock answer now. Um, but um, you want to think about historical data. So obviously look at other farm markets, what they're charging, um, and um, what you charged last year. And then obviously costs are going up. And then try and see what works. So again, for us, it's putting something out there, seeing if it moves. If it doesn't move, we obviously may need to adjust it, change it a little bit. That can be one of the hardest things, I think, of knowing what the right charge for that is. And then think about your cost structures, too. So I think a lot of people don't tend to look at the back end of the farm market and really think about you know, what that fits into. Because that insurance bill comes once a year. It's a pain in the butt. You complain about it. But then you move on. And if you really think about it, OK, $3,000 insurance bill, break that down to 12 monthly payments. What's that? It's like um, 80, 90 bucks a month. Um, so you know, think about these different costs. And we'll get to a little spreadsheet how we do this. But you know, the fixed cost and then the variable cost too, obviously your payroll. As you kind of scale your business, you're going to have to think more and more about that payroll is going to go up drastically. Um, taxes, the cost of goods sold, and we'll get that to in a minute right here. Um, so cost of goods sold is a couple, two things here. Obviously, the cost that grow into the products you grow. So your seeds, your soil, your propane, your labor, that kind of stuff. But also, if you're buying in products, the cost of goods sold is like what the product cost you, the wholesale price. Um, so one of the things we do a lot of on our farm is what we call enterprise budgets. So this is where we take the numbers around a specific part of our farm and deep dive into that. Um, and uh, you know, so let's say you do custom hire work, you do grain farming on the side, and you do that. Okay, so what's the cost of fuel? What's the cost of your labor? What's the cost of your equipment for that? Um, you're running the numbers, don't go with your gut. Let's see here. So for like one of the enterprises, where let's say we pull up tomatoes, let's gonna do a tomato enterprise budget to see what tomatoes actually cost us. Equipment cost share, so what does it cost to till the ground? And we put a, an hourly cost on that tiller. Supplies, the fertilizer, the production labor, um, a fixed cost. Again, we wanna put a little bit of insurance into that, or, a little, or we usually technically will cost out what overhead cost us, and then put a one-time overhead cost into that budget. So this is a simple spreadsheet we've used here. I don't know if you can see right there, you know, we've got compost, transplant, field prep, transplanting labor, crop care, spraying, that sort of thing. Um, and a lot of people ask, well, like, why the heck do would you do this? Because I know at the end of the year I have $20,000 left over at the end of my year. I'm making money, but you don't know where you're making your money. And that was one of the things that we found out is we found out we thought tomatoes were making us money. And when you added in the cost of labor for, because we do greenhouse tomatoes, we do a lot of pruning, the cost of the transplants quite high, tomatoes were not the number one crop for us anymore. Um, and again, you can start super simple. You can start on the back of a napkin. And that's typically how we do our enterprise budgets. That's how we did the enterprise budget we're going to break down for you here in a second. It was literally in the back of a napkin. Um, another thing to think about here too is the direct versus indirect sales. So let's say you have a uh, petting zoo. And let's say in that petting zoo you have one of those little things that you put 50 cents in and you turn it, get a little handful of feed, you walk over and feed the animals, and the kids squeal because you know the lips of the goats are touching their hands and it feels funny. But you look at the end of the year and like you lost money on that. And you're like, I'm gonna stop this. But what you don't realize is that's the number one driver to your farm market. 
And I know we don't have animals, and that's a huge problem for us because we get emails all the time. Oh, I want to bring my kids out. We want to see your animals, and we want to buy stuff. And I was like, whoops, well, we don't have animals. Sorry, and then we don't hear from them anymore. So that is definitely something we're going to add next year because we definitely know even though we probably won't directly make money off that, that enterprise is going to add drastically to our bottom line by driving customers and we'll actually probably expense it in the marketing column of our budget. Seasonal pricing too. Think about this too. Obviously, beginning of the year, your price is super high. And then as production ups and other people come into the market, your price dives. So how are you going to deal with that? and your product optionality too. So let's take two crops, um, carrots versus melons. Obviously melons are super popular, but the problem with melons, if you don't sell them when they're ripe, they go to the compost pile. There's very little you can do with a melon afterwards. Compared to a carrot, you can sell it baby, you can sell it bunched, you can sell it bulk, you can then store it, you can make carrot sticks with it, lots of things you can do with it. Um, like beef, you know, if let's say your cooler went down, you'd lose some you know, frozen beef, but Jerky has a great shelf life. So again, it's something that can last a really long time. Tomato season, you know, month in the summer, up here especially, there's not a super long tomato season. But let's say you were to take that tomato, turn it into tomato sauce, you now have another 11 or 12 months you can sell that product. So think about as you're building your product diversity, what is the optionality of the different ways you can go with that? One of the wholesalers we work with, she calls it um, her outlets. Okay, so she buys her lettuce, she sits it on the shelf for five days, and the five days she can go into her, um, her, uh, her deli with it and put it on sandwich. And then if it's not good enough for that, she can put it on her uh, salad bar. So she's always thinking about the outlet she has for the product she's buying in. So one of the crops that we had no idea that we would ever do is pickles. So we started this summer with, you know, we had some crazy cucumbers. They got a little bit dinged up with a few too many cucumber beetles. And um, we remember we had a recipe for a delicious quick pickle. So again, I was like, guys, let's just make a couple batches and see what happens. Well, they took off. They were like the talk of the town. People were asking us and when they're getting more pickles. So we started scaling it up a little bit. Um, and for the month of August, 10% of the sales, and again, we're a wide range. We have everything from corn, tomatoes, lettuce, sweet, um, all those different things. 10% of the sales were um, pickles. And so we were like, well, we want to scale this, we're probably going to continue to do this, but let's first do some napkin math and see what it's going to cost us to make these. All right, so we got raw materials, and so these are for like the ingredients, and you've got your vinegar, cucumbers, garlic, dill, salt for a total of $1.41. And what we do to kind of give us these numbers is you make a batch, take all that stuff out of the batch, and see how much that would cost and divide it by how many bat jars that batch makes. We got packaging. Packaging is expensive, folks. In the last 12 months, it has skyrocketed. So um, buying it by the pallet is a heck of a lot better way to go. You got labor. So you've got your processing labor, and that typically, again, super high. We know we could knock our processing labor down because we're doing this very inefficiently. Um, we know if we go to a more efficient, uh, larger kitchen, we would be able to make that a lot better. And then um, we were doing this, we're a private membership, so we do things in the private domain. So we're not renting a, like a commercial kitchen for this. We're doing that on farm, in our own um, farm kitchen. So um, we didn't have a lot of those costs in there. We started to look around to rent a local kitchen and immediately our profitability disappeared because we knew what we were doing. So we would have to build out an on-farm 20 seat kitchen to be commercially viable because of just the local costs. 
there's no like shared use kitchen you have to go to actually a restaurant or something to make this work so what our cost then for this was four dollars and sixty five cents um, that left us a 33 percent margin so basically our sell our sale price was seven dollars and it costs including covering all our labor and buying our cucumbers from ourselves at retail prices was that 465 per jar so our goal, we love to see a 30, the 40% profit margin. With wholesale, we like to still maintain about 20%. Um, and so, you know, that's something to think about as you're looking at your these enterprises as these budgets. Um, you can run anything through that. I mean, you can run your tractor and wagon rides. You know, what's the hourly cost of your tractor? What's the cost of the person running it? What's the cost of the insurance? And then how much does that net you over the entire season? Um, this is a rolling cash flow projections. It's a, a spreadsheet we use on our farm to kind of go month by month. It's like where we expect to be. Because you know, at the beginning of the year, you may be like, all right, well, you know, last year we did X. This year we're going to do Y. But you always forget that you have so much labor in May and June and July, which is going to put you in the red for those three months. You won't be able to pay payroll. So having something like this allows you to kind of lay out and see you know, where your profitability is running. So you can go out after, you know, say an operating loan or keeping that uh, financial cushion in the bank. Again, we don't have a lot of time, but um, when we specifically start with this, we work with estimated. I mean, we this year just threw some numbers at a sheet because we had no idea what it was going to be. We kind of thought we were going to like, this is what we think is going to happen. And of course, you're going to go from there. All right. So one last little section I want to bring here. So we've talked, obviously, the right customer. We've talked the right product mix. We've then went into the numbers, kind of threw some numbers at you. Why would you do all of that? Okay. A lot of you want to scale. A lot of, some of, I see some of you are doing this part-time, and maybe you want to go full-time, or you want to be able to bring, work less hours and get more team on there. And so you need to scale this a little bit or change it up a little bit. So what are the five keys for scaling? First is market. Second is going to be your team. Um, third is going to be capacity. And we're going to look at infrastructure and then supply chain. Okay, so we're going to briefly touch on those because I know I'm starting to run out of time here. So first is the market and that how big is the market? Like if you're in the middle of nowhere, unless you're a super awesome destination and can really pull people in, you're just not going to be able to do that many sales. So you got to really think about that. Um, and then what's your product? Actually, I want to hold on to that for a second because you know, a lot of people say, well, I sell cider and donuts. No, no, no. Your product is that fall experience. And so everything that you have on your business and your farm is creating that fall experience product. Um, you know, with a, a farm market stand, the product is, yes, the individual products in there, but it's the fact that someone can come shop and get their local food uh, for their, their week. So think about your product maybe a little bit differently. Team, everyone who had a problem with labor this year? Yeah, it was tough. Um, we finally, you know, stopped hiring. I think in October, um, you know, just to try to get the the positions we needed to fill. Um, and is it skilled or unskilled labor? So, you know, someone behind a cash register, that's not super skilled labor. You know, you have to teach them the POS system and they have to be a little bit product specific knowledge. But we all know that, let's say, a really good apple picker or someone that can do um, production labor needs to have a certain set of skills, which is not super easily taught. So you got to think about that as you're scaling. Can you get that? Maybe it's H2A, maybe it's some other way to be able to scale that. And then um, the hierarchy too. So right now we're relatively a flat organization. It's kind of me. We have a farm manager who's with me kind of like here and then it's everyone below. But as you scale and start adding layers of complexity, you have to be able to keep up with management of that. And then management capacity too. 
So, you know, this is one of the things that we looked at when we were running our farm and after I closed the farm down and the guys who took over our farm literally destroyed it in eight months and went belly up. They, you know, the one thing they came to me and said, because we had a meeting about why you can't pay the bills, and uh, they said, well, we never realized what you did in the office all day. You know, like we, we just thought you were doing whatever up there. We had no idea management and management capacity. And so you'll see some farms, you know, they're always going to be that little tiny farm market. Again, if that's their aspirations, that's where they want to be, that's fine. But running the operation you guys were talking about earlier, this, the, the cider mill and being like the third largest hard cider producer in the, the country, I mean, that's aspirational. And that takes a huge different type of management, management. So think about that. Do you have that capacity to be able to pull that off? Um, and then obviously tools, software tools is always something that can help. This book right here was the number one book that really helped me think about scaling and just like the bottleneck um, and how that moves around in your business. Infrastructure, what new equipment, what opportunity costs, um, is it going to be used or new, increased storage, and then supply chain. So obviously we all felt the supply chain this year, you know, getting even row cover this spring was a small nightmare in some places. Um, and then if you're running a farm market, the expense is going to be in that inventory. Holding that inventory is, can be very expensive. Can you get financing for those supplies? And will they ship just in time? Or do you need to like purchase massive in advance? So this was something we definitely learned this year is we had a company that said, oh yeah, we'll hold this all for you and just be able to parse it out. Uh-uh, it was gone. And then we were out. So we had to kind of scramble. So definitely something to think about. All right, so that's our place. That's our sunflower field. Um, Summary here, you know, you got to attract the right customers. You got to get the right people to show up that want the products that you're offering. And then you have to craft that right experience. And that's a mix of agri-entertainment, typically the products, and then how you're going to craft the kind of experience that you create. And then third is that you need to know those numbers again. So again, back of the envelope is great to start off with. We found this year that it's $8.57 per 100-foot bed per week is what we needed to bring in to cover our overhead. And so what that means is if a, 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 prop, a crop is you know, out of that bed and it's in cover crop, then obviously the crop going after that has to make up exponentially of that just to cover the overhead. And so that's you know, an interesting way to look at it, but it's made us on our farm really a lot more about, okay, so what's this crop gonna give in? What's the length and like what's on either end of that? Um, again, we talked about farm bus. Um, Quick story, and I hope you'll join me tomorrow because I'm going to break down exactly what it costs us to put our entire farm market in. You know, everything from the gravel in the parking lot to buying a, I forget what year this is, maybe 2003. Um, it's got an Allison transmission though, folks. Um, but, um, you know, we were running into some problems with our local zoning. Um, you know, our small town of 5,000 people uh, was, there's one set of code and it's Walmart level code. I mean. We were going to have to spend $35,000 in curbs, gutters, dry wells, and a, a parking lot because gravel parking lots, again, 5,000 person town, it's illegal to have a gravel driveway for that matter. So we uh, looked at the code, and I, by this time, after three months of working with the code enforcers, really knew the code really well and knew that there were some loopholes. So one of the loopholes is you can have an RV on your place. We titled this thing as an RV, and uh, we have a private membership association, so people aren't technically buying from us. They're you know, being a part of our membership and buying our products inside our membership so that we're not in the public anymore. So that's how we were able to put in our, um, our bus on the farm. And there it is in the wintertime. Um, 
And I'm gonna show all these numbers tomorrow, folks. So come to the Consumer Insights. It's gonna be a heck of a lot of fun. And I wanted to kind of wrap up with something right here. Because, you know, I, I think we kind of talked about a lot and some of you, it's like, I'll never go there. I think we have to think about, you know, why we do what we do. And I think, you know, one of the really cool things that when they were at Mooville, the owner was talking about is like every year we did one thing new. And it wasn't, you know, you come into this place, I mean, this place is like full on retail and they've got $185,000 robots for their cows. And you're like, whoa, this is incredible. But it's, it was a, I think we said it was a 17 year journey for them. And so I think, you know, part of that 17 year journey is really thinking about why we do what we do. And, and you know, we, I wrote this post earlier this year and I'm probably gonna cry, but um, this little guy, He's our four-year-old. Um, he follows his daddy around on the farm on his bike. He sits there while daddy moves the irrigation and just, you know, set up for the radishes and carries his looker-lookers. Those are his green looker-lookers or his binoculars. And he only looks through them backwards. He won't look through them. He's arguing, no, 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 I, this is the way you look through them. He loves cucumbers and carrots and not salad and tomatoes yet. Um, he loves to grab bugs and caterpillars and carry them around or play in his sandbox with his sister. You know, we farm because we believe that we're stewards of the earth. You know, we're creating a better future for our kids. You know, leaving better than we found and producing whole, clean, safe food for our communities. You know, one of the reasons you can walk around our farm is because we try to minimize the toxic aspect of it, try to keep it as clean as possible. A safe place for everyone. But also so we can spend more time with our family and our community. And so, you know, I think a lot of us go to farm, become farmers because we hate the rat race. So we just hate that. We want to be our own bosses. Um, we love the fact that we're on farm, that we're here, that when people say, I need you, it's just like, come on over to the farm. That's where we're hanging out and the peace and the tranquility. And I know a lot of times in the summertime, it doesn't feel like that, but I know we all get those, those times where you walk out and you see that sunrise over the farm and you're just like, mm, this is what life is all about. You know, I want to be able to have the kids come out to pick fresh vegetables and see what we're working on, not shut the office door in their faces because I'm in endless meetings all day. And so, you know, I want us to be able to stop and take a moment and watch them gasp and wonder at the latest creepy crawly and they have pulled from under a rock or a bee pollinating a flower. So life is short. You know, our kids grow up fast. If you've got kids, if you've, if you've had kids, you know how fast it goes. You know, our oldest is now almost seven and I can remember just the day she was born. It's been so fast. Um, you know, so, you know, how I ended this is like, and we want to share our farm with you and your family as well. Come on out to the farm and walk around, check out the 10 foot fall tall tomatoes or the thousands of lettuces we plant every week. Poke your head into the mushroom house and see the matter of hours, how the mushrooms grow so quickly. Come experience our tranquility, peace, and the wonder of what a farm can be. And so that for me is kind of why we do what we do is obviously it's for our families, for our kids, it's for our community, and it's uh, to leave the world a better place. So thank you very much. Hey, Thriving Farmers, have you checked us out on YouTube lately? We have a bunch of new content there, including a few rants by me. I uh, want to tell you, you don't want to miss them. Um, I actually go rant about you know some of the problems I see in our space and some of the challenges I see farmers uh, facing. So go check that out. We've got instructional videos over there as well. Talk about setting up our new farm here in Ohio and all the steps we're going to do that, as well as just tutorials and tips on best practices for all sorts of things on the farm. So go ahead, 
check over at Growing Farmers on YouTube and see the new content we put together for you. So there you have it, another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer Podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.